Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode of our mini series, Stabby Snippets. It is your girl, Jessica. And as always, I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. This week, we are going to be talking about the case of Paulette Gabara Farah. I'm going to say that this case does involve a child. So if you're sensitive to stuff like that, you may want to skip. But if you are okay with that and you're here for the ride, let's get started. Paulette was born on July 20th, 2005. Her parents were Lizette Farah, and her father was Mercutio Guibara. At the time of her disappearance, Paulette was four years old. She was developmentally disabled. She had a couple of physical disabilities as well as a language disorder. So on either the night of March 21st or the morning of March 22nd, Paulette disappeared. She had arrived the night before on March 21st. She was accompanied by her father and her sister, whose name is also Lisette, which is going to be a little bit confusing. So I promise to label them as like little Lisette or mom. So that way we can follow. Mom, Lisette, was home already. She put, she said she put the girls to bed. And then the next morning at the time that the nannies would normally wake up because they, the family had two nannies, Erica and Martha, and I'm going to say their last name wrong. I'm really horrible with Spanish. I apologize to any Spanish speakers. I sincerely apologize. Their names were Erica and Martha Casamaro. And Erica went into Paulette's room to wake her up and she was missing. And they said that they started immediately looking around the house and couldn't find her. So when Lisette knew that Paulette was missing, she began searching the whole house and complex down the street. Mercutio informed his sister, who then notified local authority. The mayor of this town notified the general attorney of the state of Mexico. They lived in this house with like this super complex security surveillance system, and there was no signs of a kidnapping or theft or break in. All the windows were locked. There was no home invasion. There was no evidence that Paulette ever left the home or was taken from the home. And she couldn't have left on her own anyway. She didn't have the motor skills or the language skills or she had those disabilities. So she wouldn't have gotten very far. The attorney general of the state of Mexico released a poster of Paulette with all of her information, including details about her disability. Lizette's sister sent out mailings, updated like photos all the time on social media, and they really started trying to get her information out that this little girl is missing. Supposedly, on March 22nd in the evening, Lisette, the mother, received a call or made contact with an alleged abductor. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
She asked the abductor to return her daughter and said that they could even do it in a public place like a shopping center or a crowded mall, someplace like that, so that they could make the exchange for the child and there would be no repercussions. They wouldn't go after this person as long as they got their daughter back. Marcuccio began to appeal to the media for help. He was appearing multiple times throughout the next several days. They all gave several interviews, one of which Lisette, the mother, gave from the bedroom the little girl disappeared on, including sitting on the bed she was last seen in. Marcuccio remembers getting up to go to work on the 22nd, but could not say whether he saw his daughter or not. At this point in time, they're... I believe it's a it's about five or six days later. They put them on house arrest. Essentially, almost I would say like five or like they say five or six days later. But there's other contradicting stories that say immediately they were asked not to leave the premises, and then eventually they were moved because they started. Okay, so people started making like false statements and different claims, and they would say things like, "Well, I saw her," or "I didn't." Like they, one person would say, "Like I saw her then." And then they would come back later and be like, I didn't I didn't say that. I didn't see it. A lot of it was Lisette, the mother. She would make these kind of statements and they were like, what the? That's not what you said last time. Mm-hmm. It was like really easy to track down. Like, obviously, I don't think there there was no abductor. So Lisette obviously spoke to no one. So the attorney general, Antonio Baza, stated each one of them at a certain moment have falsified their statement, which made it difficult to know the truth of the facts and clarify a firm line of investigation. So like these people have just fucked it up for the investigators. I mean, obviously, like they're still in the house, like the child disappeared out of bed and they made the fucking bed. This got guilty written all the fuck over it. I'm sorry. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So on March 30th, the authorities moved all four of them, Lizette, Marquisio, Erica, and Martha, out of the home and into like a hotel because they were beginning to search the home because they basically they had already come through with investigators and dogs and all this shit and nothing was being found. And I think a lot of it had to do with that the family and the nannies were in the home. So this was the first time they got rid of them. So on March 31st, At 2 a.m., Paulette's body was found. Previous experts had come in with trained dogs and had smelled all throughout her bedroom but couldn't find her. So at 2 a.m. on the 31st, because they smelled like a smell of putrefaction, they went and rechecked her bed. And between like the end of her mattress and the bed frame at the foot of her bed, her body was wedged. It was later stated in the autopsy, which I'll go back to, that her body had not been moved from the time it had passed. They ruled that her death was an accident due to mechanical asphyxiation due to an obstruction of the nasal cavities and thorax abdominal compression. So essentially like being in a tight situation where she couldn't breathe. The autopsy revealed that Paulette had slept with an orthopedic cloth over her mouth and they placed this over her mouth at night so that her mouth wouldn't hang open. I think it was part of one of her disabilities. And the one thing they they know is that the body was not mutilated after death and it had no signs of physical or sexual violence to it. So that's good. So that what they did find is two segments of rectangular adhesive cloth in a vertical position on both of her cheeks and that she had a blow like signs that she'd been hit on her left elbow and knee. And I will say this. Do not Google because They'll show you like the pictures are there. So don't do it. If you if you can't stomach it, don't do it. 
The autopsy said she had been, and this is this, this is the part I have a hard time with. The autopsy said she'd been dead between five and nine days before March 31st, but they could not reveal the exact date or hour of her death. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Their conclusion was that Paulette had moved on her own means and fell headlong into the space at the foot of her bed. Then she was asphyxiated and then remained in that position for the next nine days. All of her adjacent body fluids were in the right position so they could tell that she had not been moved. Okay, I want to talk about theories and then I'm going to come back to my story. Okay. Because there's one thing I want you guys to understand is that the bed had been made. When they took photos of the first day, her bed looked slept in. And here's the weird ass thing, right? Because she like actually moved around a lot, they got her a bigger bed and they put like all these pillows and blankets like the little girl slept in like she had like six or seven sheets on three or four blankets. She had pillows either side. She was literally like in a cocoon of warmth and happiness. But somehow she got out from under all of that or no under all of that rolled to the very bottom of the bed under everything and then wedged between the bed and the the mattress and then the bed frame like i know you have a kid and i asked you like your kid's a crazy sleeper like when we were in california we all shared a hotel room and tara who is an adult slept on like four inches of the bed and her daughter little bug slept diagonal and had all i mean we were in queen size beds i was like what is happening i remember even saying to her the next morning be like do you not care that your mom had to sleep on the edge of the bed and she's like meh (laughs) meh i was comfortable (laughs) Okay, so on April 3rd, oh, that's my parents' anniversary. Mm-hmm. On April 3rd, 2000, oh, and by the way, this happened in 2010, and I did all this research, and about this time, as I'm writing April 3rd, 2010, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay, because we told them in the beginning this would either be current ones or short ones that wouldn't make full episodes, so it's okay. Right, right. So I just am having a really hard time seeing how this little girl got through this fortress of sheets and landed on the end of the bed. And then she goes missing for nine days. There's an abductor call and they frantically search the house. Tara, I'm not a parent, but you are. If your daughter was missing and the last place you saw her was in her bed, would that bed be in any kind of like intact shape? Fuck no, that bed would be ripped the fuck apart. Right. So like, that's my first thought is like, how is a as parents and two parents and two nannies not gone? Okay, let's feel the bed for the child. Well, and my thing is too like, I don't know how fast but it's like you said nine days. Yeah. But they're saying because of all of the blankets she had, the smell was intact. Bullshit. Mm, that's what I say. Bullshit. That's what I fucking say. Again. Between five and ten days, from five and nine days by the time they did the autopsy. So my theory totally is that the mother did it. And I'll give you some more information on that in a bit. But I think that there's some foul fucking play afoot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to what I was saying. On April 3rd, which we indicated was my parents' anniversary, um, Lisette was indicted and it's Amparo, which the writ of Amparo is a remedy of protection of constitutional rights. It is an inexpensive instrument for protection of rights. I couldn't find out more about it. That's just what it said. It's in the Spanish speaking world is what they said. 
So the proceedings against the risk, there was like a restriction order claiming that she hadn't been involved with the events that caused her daughter's death. So basically what she's saying is like, look, I have nothing to do with this, which is, you know, I don't think it's true. A specialist then comes out and indicates that Lisette has um, personality disorders. They don't say what it is. And, you know, and here's the thing. I believe that mental health, you can still be a parent and have mental health issues. I believe that. Totally. Not dissing on that. However, sometimes mental health issues that go untreated can lead to bad things. And I have a feeling this happened. This is reminding me a little John Benet Ramsey ish. Actually, it's one of the cases that's like connect, like when they say like suggested connections. If you like this story or like that, it's John Benet pops up. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing: during this time, Marcuccio is like, "You can't fucking have our other daughter." Mm. Okay, right? Because he's like pretty sure that this bitch killed their other daughter. On April fourth, the judge granted freedom to Lisette, Marcuccio, Erica, and Martha from the hotel. And they got released in stages. So Marcuccio left at 1020, Lizette left at 11, and Erica and Martha left at 12. But they could not leave the country. They were specifically told, like, you can't leave anywhere. On April 5th, Mercutio and Lisette gave separate interviews. Lisette said that she was blaming her husband because he blamed her. Like, well, I think he did it because he's pointing the finger at me and I know I didn't do it. So he must be doing it. You know, that kind of shit. And Marcuccio claimed that Paulette's death could not have been an accident and he did not trust his wife. Hmm. Red flag. On April 6th, Paulette's body was buried. It was the funeral procession was headed by Lisette, Paulette's mother. But Marcuccio's family did not attend the burial because there was an agreement made that they would not attend because I'm pretty sure Lisette went crazy and was like, motherfucker. On April 7th, Marcuccio's family denied Lisette the request to see her other daughter, Lisette, who was seven. On May 10th, the attorney general of the federal district collaborating with the request of the state of Mexico granted Lisette the request for custody of her daughter, Lisette. The attorney Alberto we previously mentioned defended the investigation and the conclusion of the case. He resigned his position as the head of the attorney general of the state of Mexico, saying that, and here's another word I can't pronounce, um, so we're just going to skip it. Oh, the prosecutor. It's just the Spanish word for prosecutor. So if you speak Spanish... Send us a soundbite <laughs> saying that the prosecutor needs to have confidence to act effectively and that he had lost that confidence due to the questioning of his actions in the investigation of the death of Paulette. So here's the weird thing. Like th- there's two there's two little girls and there's two nannies. So essentially, I'm assuming one of them gets one and one of them gets the other. And the nannies were heavily involved in the search and everything, but they gave two statements that kind of just that like stand out. So Martha gave this statement that said, I looked in the bathroom and under the bed and in the closet. I saw that she wasn't there. And I also went into the bedroom of the lady to look for her to the bedroom of the other girl, which is referring to Lis- or Paula's sister, Lisette. And then from there, we started looking for her all over again. So... I don't know how they're searching for this girl. If it's like, hey, Paulette, you there? Like, it just kind of seems they're like willy nilly about it. And then Erica stated, in fact, if it had not been like that, I think I would have noticed since thousands of people came to look for her and the bed was made and I never saw the mattress pulled back. I didn't see a bundle or anything. It doesn't make sense to me that the body could have been there since Monday. 
Here's where we kind of get into a little bit more theories of why I think Lisette killed the little girl. There was a recording found, or during the investigation, between Lisette, the mother, and Lisette, the daughter. So this is what it is. is It's during the investigation of the case, a recording between Paulette's mother, Lisette, and then, and then the then seven-year-old sister, also named Lisette, was released, in which she tells her daughter not to say anything of Paulette's disappearance so that they would not be blamed. And this is what her words were. Little Lisette asks, Mom, why? And she replies, Lisette, the mom says, because otherwise they will blame us for stealing her or that they will take her away to be stolen. What the fuck? Right. At first, Lisette denied actually saying these words. She said that the recording had been edited to make her look like she was trying to make her daughter hide information. But later, she said she accepted that those were the words she said, stating that I'd had a conversation with my daughter, but not in the context in which they showed. So she was saying, oh, no, no, they just twisted my words. But like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? mother in their right mind has a missing child and tells them like tells her other child don't say anything about Paula's disappearance so in 2010 a video entitled the strange case of Paula's pajamas um essentially they found her body in these very specific reindeer pajamas and had really cute little figurines all over them and at one point in time when Lizette is giving the interview these pajamas are folded on the bed and they didn't have two pairs so like she changed her into them right after and mm. like i mentioned at the beginning of this is that lisette was not disturbed after she was found dead so she wasn't dead when she's put into the pajamas no that's kind of this is kind of where this is is right now. So in 2017, they deemed that Paulette's body um, was no longer considered evidence and she was exhumed from her grave and then cremated. Hmm. And so this has kind of gotten this story has gotten picked up because people are like, wait a second, this can't be an accident. And then, of course, you know, I fell down a Reddit rabbit hole. And they were like, and they, this is where they're talking about like how many blankets and stuff they had on it. And it's like, basically, they made it so that she wasn't able to move around while she sleeps. But you're trying to convince people that she didn't move. Like, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to have people be convinced that she essentially crawled down and, you know. A bunch of horseshit. And it's like, they were saying that they brought the dogs in early so that they wouldn't have smelled anything. But I'm pretty sure they would have smelled like a decomposing body. Like there's that one show on, I think it's Netflix that basically talks about how evidence gets screwed up and how people get arrested for it all the time. So this case is weird. And I honestly think the mother killed her. I think there was a conspiracy in the household. I think the mother wanted to take her kids away from the dad. And I think she like was hiding the child while they were in the home and like misdirecting. And then I think she probably put the child there to be found. And then it just didn't happen in time. I mean, that's my theory is that she placed her there. Like, I I don't know. Like I have tons of like, and of course these are all speculations. Like, I don't know. And one of the things that they keep saying, like, oh, she was found under the bed and she wasn't, she was wedged between. I mean, this is something people should have found. I don't know how else to say that. Like, you're telling me that no one, no one in an investigation went, this is where the child was last seen. So let's take every scrap. Like, okay, you and I, like, I watch 
TV shows, like crime TV shows, you know, and it's like, even when you like watch shows about investigations, they do things like take the comforter so that they can like test for DNA or fingerprints or shit like that. Right. So they do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But they didn't take anything from this room. And I get that this is in Mexico, but this is also like, I don't know. I feel like they probably have protocols, especially these people seem to be wealthy. They have two nannies. Sketchy all around. Yeah. It's a weird case. And I mean, I think Lisette is out there living her life knowing she killed her daughter. Agreed. I just like I thought about it today. Like once I realized that it was 2010, (laughs) this happened. It's like she was four, which means like how old does that make her? 13? She was born in 2005. She'd be 15. Isn't that sad? It is. Sad. Anyway. So that's it for me today. If there's any updates on this case, we will let you know. But thanks for coming and hanging out with us on this week's Stabby Snippet. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.